Section 35 of the Watergate Report, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Final Report of the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, Volume 2. D. Milk Producer Meetings on March 16 with Kalmbach and Connolly. In March 1972, the AMPI officials came to Washington and met with Kalmbach and then-Secretary Connolly. By then, the milk producers were expressing their deep concern over the antitrust suit, and in light of the emerging ITT scandal, the Republicans apparently were developing a new strategy to avoid further embarrassment from milk producer contributions by postponing them until just prior to the election. 1. Meeting with Kalmbach By mid-March, Marin was, quote, beginning to get nervous, end quote, about a commitment because of the, quote, remarkable temporal association of contributions, end quote, and the price support effort in 1971. As noted above, Isham understood from Marin that tape would contribute, and this is corroborated by Nelson, who says that Marin, in fact, had decided after February 3, but before the next meeting with Kalmbach, to contribute more money to the president's campaign. But by that time, damaging information had been publicized, linking the settlement of a government antitrust suit against ITT and a large contribution by ITT through its subsidiaries for the Republican National Convention, following high-level meetings between Mitchell and ITT officials. Kalmbach says that he anticipated an effort by AMPI to seek a quid pro quo on the antitrust suit, and that he decided to tell the AMPI officials that he would not solicit any more contributions from them, and that any pledge for contributions would be abrogated. On March 16, Marin, Nelson, and Jacobson met with Kalmbach in his room in the Madison Hotel. Footnote. The committee has fixed the date of the meeting based upon evidence it has uncovered in its investigation. Marin and Jacobson testified that they were not sure of the date of the meeting, although they thought it probably occurred sometime in March or April. Although Marin said he thought the meeting occurred on April 23 or 24, Kalmbach was not in Washington in April after the 7th. Nelson testified that the meeting took place on the same day they met with Secretary Connolly, which, according to Connolly's logs, was March 16. Kalmbach testified that he, too, thought the meeting occurred in mid-March. The committee staff has reviewed the logs and hotel charges of those present at the meeting and found that the only time in March or April 1972 when all four were at the Madison Hotel in Washington was on March 15 and 16. Moreover, Jacobson added that Kalmbach was about to leave for New York at the time of the meeting, and Kalmbach's logs indicated that he left Washington and went to New York on March 16. Therefore, it appears that the meeting took place on the day of the 16th. End footnote. The meeting was brief. Kalmbach told them of his decision, and Marin replied that it should be clearly understood that he, Marin, was not breaching any commitments. 
it is not clear whether as a result of the meeting all further solicitations for the president's campaign were terminated or just whether kalmbach personally was withdrawing and that solicitations were being suspended only for a time although merrin says that it was his understanding that no further solicitations would be made by anyone connected with the campaign effort kalmbach's message was according to merrin's own recollection more limited kalmbach told him that quote, i will not proceed any further with discussions or negotiations on political contributions end quote. and that he quote, personally would make no more representation to ampi end quote. nelson says that kalmbach told them he was not going to seek additional contributions quote, presently and that nelson understood that there would be further solicitations after april seven subsequent events have corroborated nelson's understanding it appears that the efforts to obtain further milk producers support for the president were not terminated on march sixteen but only postponed until just prior to the election in fact after meeting with kalmbach on the sixteenth the milk producers met with secretary connolly who in a similar fashion advised them only to postpone their contributions Two, meeting with Connolly. The milk producers had secured the assistance of Treasury Secretary Connolly in March 1971 in their successful effort to obtain a price support increase. A year later, in March 1972, they again turned to him for help in the antitrust suit and several other matters. It is virtually undisputed that they met with Connolly on March 16 and discussed their antitrust irs and other problems that connolly called mitchell about the impact of these problems on the president's campaign and that there was a reference at the meeting to postponing contributions until later in the year lilly testified that upon marin's return to san antonio marin told him that it was also understood that the antitrust suit and a pending irs investigation of mpi would be slowed and ultimately terminated on favorable terms for ampi before turning to the march sixteenth nineteen seventy two meeting itself a discussion of the background of the irs investigation and related matters including a possible criminal prosecution against ampi by the justice department for a corporate political contribution is set forth below a irs and justice department investigations in the course of a routine audit by irs of the income tax return of ampi's predecessor mpi for the nineteen sixty eight fiscal year irs agents uncovered payments in nineteen sixty eight by mpi and several of its constituent co-ops totaling over ninety thousand dollars from corporate funds to a Washington, D.C. printing firm, ostensibly for the costs of printing a compilation of President Johnson's messages to the 90th Congress titled, quote, No Retreat from Tomorrow, end quote. Footnote. In addition to the amounts paid to the printing firm, approximately $14,000 more was also paid by AMPI to two other firms for expenses relating to publication of the book. End footnote. Upon further investigation, it was found that earlier in 1968, 
the printer had billed and received payment from the salute to the president committee an adjunct of the dnc and that the subsequent three co-op checks to that firm for the ninety thousand dollars solicited by an official of the dnc constituted a duplicate payment and were therefore endorsed by the printer to the salute to the president committee the co-op reflected these payments on its corporate books partly as an quote, advertising expense and partly as quote, office supplies expense footnote in fact the book quote, no retreat from tomorrow end quote, bears no indication that it was paid for or sponsored by ampi and thus appears to have been of no advertising or public relations benefit to the co-op the san antonio irs agent in charge of the audit doyle bond notified ampi in mid nineteen seventy one that this transaction was being investigated bob lilly immediately informed jake jacobson by letter dated august twenty sixth nineteen seventy one of the matter and concluded quote, this should and did raise eyebrows end quote. jacobson says that in nineteen seventy two after discussing the tax matter with either merrin or nelson he suggested that ampi retain marvin colley whom he considered quote, the best tax lawyer in texas end quote, and who was a partner of vinson elkins searles connolly and smith treasury secretary connolly's former law firm connolly and jacobson each testified that before ampi hired colley jacobson asked connolly whether he would have any objection connolly told jacobson he did not connolly and jacobson testified that their discussion took place sometime in nineteen seventy two possibly at the close of the march sixteen meeting with merrin however since ampi records indicate that collie was retained by ampi in january or early february nineteen seventy two and the jacobson connolly discussion took place preliminary to ampi hiring collie the conversation must have taken place prior to that meeting at about the same time that collie was being retained irs commissioner johnny walters was contacted concerning the matter and personally inquired about it from the irs regional commissioner from the southwest region with jurisdiction over the mpi audit albert brisbin during january seventeen to nineteen nineteen seventy two brisbin and walters attended a meeting for regional commissioners in washington at that time according to brisbin commissioner walters handed him a three-paragraph document apparently prepared by a co-op representative stating the facts with respect to the tax matter under investigation and he asked brisbane to give him a report brisbane says he understood that the document had been given to walters by some high official at the treasury department presumably connolly or one of his assistant secretaries upon returning to dallas brisbane passed the matter and the document on to the then irs district director for austin robert finney who in turn sent it to his subordinate with the handwritten comment quote, al brisbane quoted commissioner walters to me saying do what's right but let's close it as soon as we can end quote. 
Brisbane recalls Walters giving him those instructions at the time he gave him the document in Washington, and he and Finney agree that Brisbane called Finney personally to pass on Walters' comment. Finney considered this a very unusual aspect of the case, and said that he did not recall any similar request from Walters. When asked about the incident, Walters said he had no recollection of handling the document, and he is fairly certain that he did not receive it from Connolly or any top Treasury official. Although he knows Colley, Walters is sure Colley did not speak to him about the case. Walters has some recollection of having heard the title of the book and of telling an IRS official to complete the audit and not let the matter drag on. As a result of Walters' inquiry, a meeting was held in Brisbane's office on February 1, 1972, at which Agent Bond briefed the regional officials, including Brisbane. By that time, Bond had recommended that the matter be referred to the Criminal Division of the Justice Department as a possible violation of Title 18, Section 610, Corporate Political Contributions. At the meeting, three decisions were made. The taxpayer, AMPI, was to be given an additional opportunity to justify the expenditures to IRS before IRS disallowed them. The matter would be referred to the criminal division for possible criminal prosecution, and a sensitive case report would be prepared for the commissioner. The report was prepared and hand-delivered by Brisbane to Walters a week later when Walters was in Texas on unrelated matters, and on February 15, the report was forwarded to Washington. Walters had no recollection of the briefing or the report. With respect to the referral for criminal prosecution, Brisbane said that his district director, Finney, still objected to the referral after the February 1 meeting. Normally, the district director would sign the referral and the regional commissioner would not review it. However, because of Finney's objections, Brisbane says that, in an unusual move, he overruled Finney and took the matter from him, and on February 22, 1972, personally signed the memorandum for referral of the matter to the Justice Department. Footnote. Brisbane's memo was forwarded to the Intelligence Division of IRS, according to regular IRS procedure, and then forwarded to Henry Peterson, Assistant Attorney General, on February 29, 1972. End Even more unusual was the reason Brisbane says Finney gave for his objection. According to Brisbane, Finney didn't object on substantive grounds. Rather, Finney expressed concern to Brisbane that if the matter were referred to the Justice Department, quote, it will be written up in Jack Anderson, end quote. Finney, who was interviewed before Brisbane, made no mention in a staff interview of any objection on his part to the referral. Brisbane says he understood Finney to be concerned about possible embarrassment to the former president and those close to him, including Connolly. Finney had known President Johnson and Connolly for over 25 years and had joined with Connolly and several others in 1946 in investing in a local radio station in Texas. Finney says that he had no contact with Connolly concerning the audit, but acknowledged that Colley, 
whom Finney also knew, did speak to him once about the matter. According to Finney, Collie told him that he had been retained by AMPI and he was advising his client not to oppose the IRS disallowance of the expense deduction for the book. Finney says that he told Collie of the referral to the Justice Department. Although Finney recalls Collie meeting with him in Finney's office, Collie's billings to AMPI show only one contact with Finney, a long-distance telephone call on March 8, 1972. Collie had been interviewed by the staff prior to the Finney interview. When questioned about his conversation with Finney, he testified, Question. What did Mr. Finney tell you? What was the total of his conversation? Answer. I told Mr. Finney that I had advised AMPI to give up entirely on the assertions by the Internal Revenue Service, and that I hoped that that would close the case. I further said that it involved, the case involved, people of wide public fame, and that I certainly hoped that there wouldn't be leaks and he would take appropriate action to make sure that the normal secrecy of the Internal Revenue Service was asserted. Question. What did Mr. Finney have to say? Answer. He thanked me for the information. He said he assumed that the usual secrecy would be preserved, but he was familiar with the case and, and that, well, that was about all. Collie made no reference to the matter of the referral to the Justice Department, Finney says was discussed. During the following week, March 13 to 17, the revenue agent, Bond, met with AMPI representatives who informed him that AMPI would not contest disqualification of the expense deduction in question. On March 15, 1972, Bond recommended to his superior that he be permitted to audit the returns for the subsequent two years, the final two returns filed by MPI, for the periods ending June 30, 1969 and September 30, 1969, and the first AMPI return for the period ending June 30, 1970. In his recommendation, Bond stated that, quote, at least one more examination should be conducted before we can really evaluate the audit potential of the organization, end quote. In contrast to the time spent on the 1968 audit, according to IRS records, approximately 1,700 hours, he noted that, quote, future examinations can be conducted in considerably less time, end quote. Within the next few days, AMPI notified IRS that it would not contest the IRS disallowance of the expense deductions for the book, and the 1968 audit was closed. At that point, after the referral to the Justice Department and Bond's recommendation for additional tax audits, Marin, Nelson, and Jacobson met with Connolly. B. The Meeting Jacobson says that he wanted to introduce Marin to Connolly, whom he considered to be influential in the administration. Marin says Jacobson told him, quote, Mr. Connolly has become a very important man in this administration. He is going to be an important man in the future. End quote. Jacobson thought the first meeting would be purely introductory, and that he did not expect Marin to take up with Connolly any problems until a later time. Instead, 
Marin took the opportunity, quote, as a forum for discussing all the problems that AMPI had been having with this administration, end quote, including, quote, the antitrust suit and dairy imports and price supports, end quote. Marin says he told Connolly that the antitrust litigation was costing AMPI a great deal of money and that, together with actions in other areas, evidenced, quote, a pattern of adverse reaction on the part of the administration, end quote. Both Marin and Jacobson conceded that the antitrust matter was discussed with the hope that Connolly would perhaps talk to others to help them in the ongoing settlement negotiations, and Jacobson says that Connolly was, quote, sympathetic, end quote. Connolly says the antitrust suit and other problems were reviewed as, quote, an informative type of thing, end quote, and he does not recall that they asked him to do anything for them. Connolly responded to AMPI's request immediately and apparently at a purely political level. Connolly says that he called Mitchell that day or the next day to relay to him the information that the antitrust suit was going to have a, quote, very damaging effect politically upon the Republican Party, end quote. Footnote. Connolly's logs indicate a call to Mitchell on the day of the meeting, March 16, but no record was kept of the time of his telephone calls except for those to and from the president. End footnote. By Merrin's account, Connolly telephoned Mitchell during the meeting in the presence of Merrin, Nelson, and Jacobson, despite the fact that Connolly considered this, quote, unusual. Merrin says Connolly told Mitchell that, I have a group of people here who seem to be somewhat incensed with what they seem to consider systematic punitive action of this administration. This can do us damage in the Middle West. You get some people out there and find out what is going on, because we're going to have political trouble if we don't. Footnote. Mitchell said that he could not remember any call from Connolly about the milk producer's antitrust suit. End footnote. Marin says Connolly also called Senator Dole, then chairman of the Republican National Committee, and gave him essentially the same information. It appears that, in addition to these references to the political aspects of the antitrust suit, there was a reference to political contributions in the meeting, according to Marin, at Connolly's initiation. Marin testified that at the end of the meeting, Connolly remarked that political contributions, quote, would be more useful toward the end of the campaign than now. They'll need it worse at the end of the campaign than they do now, end quote. When Connolly was asked in an executive session before the Select Committee on November 15, 1973, whether there was any discussion of the timing of political contributions by the milk producers, Connolly testified that he did not recall any discussion of contributions. After Marin testified that there was, the committee asked Connolly to submit an affidavit to the committee, responding to several questions, including the following. Question. In your meeting with Harold Nelson, Jake Jacobson, and George Marin on March 16, 1972, was the subject of campaign contributions from the dairy people to the president's re-election effort, including the amount, form, and timing of such contributions discussed? 
Connolly submitted an affidavit to the committee dated April 11, 1974, in which, contrary to his earlier testimony, he states that he now does recall a reference to contributions at the meeting, although he says Merrin, not he, initiated the discussion. During Dr. Merrin's discourse on AMPI's problems, including internal revenue problems and the antitrust suit which had been filed, as I recall, he made some general comment to the effect that under all the circumstances, AMPI probably should discontinue all political contributions until later. I responded by saying something to the effect that this sounded reasonable. I do not recall any specific discussion of campaign contributions to the President's re-election effort in this meeting, nor a discussion of the amount, form, and timing of any such contributions, except as the general discussion mentioned above can be considered to encompass these subjects. Connolly's advice was consistent with Kalmbach's message to the milk producers that day that Kalmbach was not then accepting further dairy contributions. As Connolly indicates in his affidavit submitted to the committee, the tax matter was discussed at the meeting. Jacobson expressed his opinion that, although there may have been some reference to the IRS matter at the March 16 meeting, and according to Connolly there was, he thought it would have been, quote, improper to talk to Connolly about the pending case. In a conversation with Marion after the March 16 meeting discussed below, Lilly recalls, based on his notes of the conversation, that Merrin told him that Connolly had called Mitchell during the meeting and that there had been a discussion of a, quote, promise to go slow on IRS, end quote. At the close of the meeting, Jacobson remained behind and conferred privately with Connolly for approximately five minutes to discuss, in Jacobson's words, quote, Texas politics, end quote. Although Jacobson and Connolly say that may have been the occasion on which they discussed Collie representing AMPI on the IRS matter, it now appears, as discussed above, that their discussion took place at some earlier time. C. Lilly's Account Several weeks after the meeting, Marin relayed to Bob Lilly the substance of the meeting with Connolly. Lilly has contemporaneous notes which he made of his conversation with Merrin, which indicate that it was understood that, as a result of the meeting, the antitrust and IRS matters were going to be resolved in AMPI's favor, and milk producer contributions were to be delayed until later in the year. It is striking how much of Lilly's hearsay account given to the Select Committee in November 1973, the first time the Select Committee learned of the March 16 meeting, has been corroborated by evidence subsequently obtained by the Committee. According to Lilly, Marin, Nelson, and Jacobson met with Connolly in his office in March 1972, and that, in their presence, Connolly called Mitchell and discussed... 1. Delaying contributions to the Republican Party by AMPI's political trust. 2. Slowing down the antitrust suit against AMPI and at a later time reducing it to a wrist slap. And 3. Promising to go slow on the IRS audit of AMPI. Lilly says that Connolly then called Senator Dole, who, like Mitchell, 
agreed to defer any obligations due the Republican Party, meaning contributions that might be due, but to delay them until near the general election time. Lilly says he understood that the AMPI representatives had met with Kalmbach, too, in March. Since the time of Lilly's testimony, the participants in the meeting have acknowledged that the antitrust and IRS matters were discussed, that Connolly called Mitchell and Dole and discussed the political implications of these problems, and that Connolly at least concurred in a delay in further contributions. Nonetheless, standing alone, Lilly's hearsay account, based upon a report provided by Merrin, of the understandings allegedly reached on the IRS and antitrust matters, not supported by the participants, might have to be discounted. However, at least that aspect of Lilly's account in connection with the antitrust suit is supported by events several weeks after the meeting. According to Kalmbach and others, on April 4, Merrin, whether from a misunderstanding of the discussions on March 16 or from an eagerness to demonstrate to the administration his good-faith intention to support the president's re-election effort, contacted Kalmbach and made an attempt to make a substantial pre-April 7 contribution in exchange for assistance in terminating the Justice Department antitrust suit against AMPI, as discussed below. 3. Disposition of the Tax Investigations the investigation by the committee has uncovered no evidence of any improper action taken by governmental officials after the March 16 meeting in Connolly's office, either with respect to the IRS audit or the case referred to the Justice Department. However, for several reasons apparently unrelated to the Connolly meeting, no further IRS audits were undertaken that year, and no criminal prosecution was ever brought for the possible corporate contribution. First, with respect to the IRS, the deductions in question were disallowed, reducing MPI's reported loss for the year 1968. Footnote. When asked of the final result in the IRS matter, Jacobson replied that, quote, a pretty sizable deficiency, unquote, was paid. This, of course, is inaccurate. End footnote. Later, in 1972, responsibility for examining farmer cooperatives was transferred from exempt organization specialists to income tax agents. Accordingly, Bond's responsibility for MPI and AMPI was transferred to another IRS agent, who reviewed the returns for the subsequent years and determined that since AMPI had a loss carry-forward of over $1 million for its tax period ending September 30, 1969, there was no, quote, income tax potential, end quote, to justify time-consuming audits, and no additional audits were undertaken at that time. Moreover, it was generally assumed at that time that there were no additional corporate contributions by MPI or AMPI, since the co-op had formed a vehicle for making legal dairy contributions, TAPE, during the 1969 fiscal year, the year immediately following the year that had already been audited. It should be noted, however, that since the completion of the IRS review in 1972, 
there have been disclosures of additional corporate contributions in the 1968-72 period, and full IRS audits of the returns for 1969 forward have been undertaken. In addition, in 1974, AMPI filed amended returns for those years, in which the loss carry-forward has been fully depleted in the 1972 return, resulting in substantial taxable income to AMPI, including over $260,000 in 1972 alone. Second, according to Henry Peterson, Assistant Attorney General for the Criminal Division, there was some question about the applicability of Section 610 to the MPI expenditure, but nonetheless, the decision was made by the Division in 1972 to investigate it further. Footnote. The book was distributed at the end of 1967, several months before President Johnson announced he was not seeking re-election. Section 610 prohibits a corporate contribution, quote, in connection with any election, political convention, or caucus, end quote. The question was raised by those at the Department of Justice as to the relationship, if any, between the MPI expenditure and the 1968 campaign. End footnote. However, after some investigation by the FBI, the Justice Department file was mistakenly returned to the inactive files of the department and not discovered until 1974, after the statute of limitations to the transaction in question had expired. In any event, Peterson flatly denied any improper conduct by his division in connection with the investigation. Footnote. Peterson and former Attorney General Kleindienst did acknowledge in staff interview that there were several inquiries in 1972 made by Connolly for Jacobson, but with respect to another matter, a pending criminal division investigation of Jacobson's involvement in a possible savings and loan fraud in Texas. Kleindienst remembers being contacted by Connolly and passing on the inquiry to Peterson. Peterson recalls four inquiries in all, two from then-Attorney General Mitchell and then two more from Kleindienst, the first after Connolly had called Kleindienst and the second after a call from the White House to Kleindienst. Peterson says he was upset over the number, although not the content, of these calls. In any event, although it appears that Connolly made these calls on behalf of Jacobson, Peterson says there was no reference to the AMPI IRS matter by Connolly. End footnote. End of section 35. Recording by Linda Johnson.